Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. You've heard that before? That's the phrase I want to focus on. That is from chapter 4 in his book. And that phrase that is being recorded is a quote, obviously in Aramaic, and then the New Testament writers actually translate it on the spot in that passage into English. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's the CSB version, which I like that a little better, because when I say forsaken, you're like, what's forsake? That's not a common English phrase. Why have you abandoned me? Now, let's go to the actual passage. You'll find this only in Matthew and Mark. It's not actually recorded in the other two Gospels, but there's a lot of other stuff recorded in the other Gospels. In Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon. Now, if you've got the NIV, it's actually saying the third to the sixth hour because it's still recording it in Hebrew time. CSB is already translating it into our modern time. So it's noon to three o'clock. Darkness came over the whole land. Would that cause any concern? At the normally the highest point of the sun during the day, and it becomes dark. I think that would make you think this is unusual. That there's something bigger going on. Like the light of this world was about to fade. Right? And the Bible wants to make sure we record that. And it says about three in the afternoon, so now it's already dark. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, during his ministry, Jesus was in constant connection with his Father. So much so, sometimes he even heard and others heard God's voice back to him. That's the kind of relationship Jesus had. But now in the most painful moment of his life, where almost all have abandoned him, he now faces the reality of his own father also leaving him alone. I believe this is one of the hardest parts of the cross. But it's also the one we can most relate to. Because now Jesus is in our shoes. We don't have that connection that He had. This is when I believe Jesus was in His most human form. Because He no longer has that unique and special connection that only He and His Father had. He is now, literally, in our shoes. And of course, the question that immediately comes to mind, well, why? Why is Jesus, the Son of God, left alone? Why would Jesus be abandoned what could cause a separation between God and Jesus? And I know that many of us here, but we may have some who don't, know that there's a huge theological understanding that we get from this moment. What separates? Let's go to Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Now I'm going to read the CSB, that's the Christian Standard Bible. Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save. And his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. What causes separation from God? It's a three letter word sin. Now, I think for most of us who have studied that out and we've been open with our own life, we can, we can immediately name some sins. 
But I think there's some of those sins that we don't name that we need to name. I think most of us, we can be honest about the sins of commission, sins we've done. But there's also sins of omission. You know, you've heard the passage in Matthew where Jesus says, as he's predicting the future of society, the love of most will grow cold. How much you want to bet we don't want to include ourselves in that most? But it does, if we're honest. You know, my wife and I have had different opportunities over the last few weeks just getting with different disciples, and it it breaks my heart when I'm hearing from individuals that that's what they feel has happened to the church. Now, they're, they're honest that it's not across the board. I don't think it is. But in generality, I think the love of most of us in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, has grown cold. But there's a reason. And it's not always just a sinful heart. Sometimes it's simply the reaction of our human nature to unresolved pain and suffering, to feeling alone. It's our reaction. And the problem is, is when we get to that situation in this kind of size of group, then we also break our relationships, which are the only things that can help us resolve that pain. And so then it multiplies. And then comes this feeling, I don't feel like there's any love in the church. Which you always have to be careful saying that, because are you including yourself in that? Or have you already admitted you're not in the church? Because either you're a part of the solution, or you're also part of the problem. Right? Right? And so this is the reality, and this is what I love about this statement, is that even the Son of God could recognize being stuck, separated, abandoned, and alone. But then there's this theological thing. If, If sin is what separates, did Jesus sin? And if not, why is He separated? Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't make us wait long to get the answer to both those questions. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. So whether you believe that or not, that's what the Bible just said, so you can call God a liar if you want. Jesus didn't sin. Period. Which to me automatically me goes, I'm in all. How did you not ever sin? And we can look at that and go, I, I can't I can't even I can't even get close to that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Right? Right? Like why can't we at least still try? And when we fail, we have God and His grace and His mercy to help us get back up. But we shouldn't just give up because He was in human form and was able to do it. That should give us at least a little bit of hope. You can be different. But there are going to be battles that want to interfere with that. When He was insulted, He did not insult in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. God, where are you? Why aren't you here with me? but entrusted Himself to the One who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. See, He's wanting us to live that way. 
But his wounds, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, I bolded some of the type there because those are the phrases that are directly quoting or attributed to Psalm 53. Okay? Because see, we got to understand that even the New Testament writers, they were dealing with this question. Did Jesus sin? Because sin is what separates. And if He didn't, why was He separated? They too had to go to the Bible to get the answer to those questions. And though we get this letter, they didn't have that letter. They had Psalm 53. And they found an answer for that. And they've shared it now with us. Are we doing the same? See, the reality is, guys, there was that separation, not because of His, but because of ours. And we know that. We know that. But could there be more to this than just Jesus realizing that that was the moment He was separated? At least on a spiritual plane. But the question we've got to ask, was actually God no longer present? No, He was still present. What? No, wait, He's separated. Yes, He is from Jesus' perspective because of sin. And now sin is blinded from the fact that God is actually still present. And the same thing happens to us. When we have unresolved pain, God is still present, but we no longer can see Him. And so we, like Jesus, in that moment can cry out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But did you ever wonder, is that the only reason he quotes that phrase? And that phrase, by the way, is from Psalm 22. I would like to propose there's more to the story here. That he's not just recognizing he's separated because at the end of the day, he's still trusted in God's presence. We'll get to that at the end. So why did he say this phrase? And then it hit me. It's quoted from Psalm 22. And when you go through the Gospels, and whenever Jesus is quoting Scriptures, in most cases, He's quoting it in terms of confronting another Scripture that was quoted by the religious establishment but not understood. And so He says these passages with intention to explain what it should really mean. Like, well, what intention? Go a little bit easier. This is not on my slide. This is a little bonus for you. Okay? Go a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 27. And there's this interesting statement from the Pharisees, the religious teachers who are, who are just totally ridiculing Jesus. And in verse 43, it says, He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now. If He takes pleasure in Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Whether you realize it or not, that's a quote from Psalm 22. The Pharisees, looking at Jesus on the cross, they decided, we're just going to quote a little Bible to Jesus, show Him why He is. If He's God, let God rescue Him. And though they're quoting accurate Scripture, they're totally misunderstood what Psalm 22 is all about. Because that quote is later in Psalm 22. So then Jesus, just a few verses later, quotes Psalm 22 with the very first verse of Psalm 22. And if you could only read the entire psalm, you would see why the Pharisees missed it all. 
See, in most cases, when you read the psalm, it, it kind of basically it talks about this challenge of someone reaching out to God. In fact, this is a great quote from Mark Templer in his book. He says, in reference to Psalm 22, it depicts in a remarkable way the suffering of the crucifixion nearly a thousand years before it happened, written before anyone was being crucified, and it is filled with imagery of a man crying out and finding that God is silent. But if you only read up to the point the Pharisees did, then that psalm only ends in silence and in pain. But if you did what Jesus did, who started from the beginning, and we'll see, actually lives out the entire psalm in the Passion account to the very end, you'll see, yes, it starts in pain, but because of faith in promises of God, it ends with praise rather than pain. So I think it's only appropriate. Let's do it. You guys want to go through Psalm 22? Do you want to see the Passion account before the Passion even existed? To where crucifixion hasn't even been practiced yet in society? And God is already foreshadowing. The Pharisees thought they had it. Oh, you said you're the Son of God. That's God to rescue. You trust in Him. They missed it. And so Jesus corrects them by quoting the very first verse of Psalm 22. Let's turn to Psalm 22. Verse 1, and I'll stop in here and refer to places where it's referencing to either one or all the four gospel accounts. Starts off in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. Anyone ever been there? You need to know you've been there. So I actually want you to take a moment and with the person next to you, share in generalities. You don't have to share specifics depending on what you want to share. Describe that moment. What did that feel like? Maybe what took place in generalities, you don't have to name names, that made you feel abandoned, that made you feel that no one was there to help you. Take a few minutes and share that with one another. You've got to to get in touch with this feeling to appreciate what Jesus went through.
Amen. And if you want to be able to share that more, please do so. I know for some of you, maybe you're in that moment right now, and so you're just left with loneliness and abandonment, and why, God? For others, it may have been a past thing that you don't want to relive, and yet, by reliving it, you actually are learning something. It did end. And it wasn't the end of you. And that's got to give us faith. And those who are not at an end yet, they need our encouragement. That it's not the end. That it, it can change. Yeah. Ultimately in heaven, when we get eternal life. But see, there comes a point when you're going through that moment, you have to make a decision. That either you let that pain shut you down, even though you don't feel His presence, just as Jesus no longer felt His presence. My God, my God, why have you been? I've never felt this while on earth but you still choose to believe that God is good. Look what the psalmist goes on to say. But, despite everything he just said, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. Was that going on during the Passion? Very much so. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let Him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since He takes pleasure in him. Sound familiar? Pharisees were quoting it, but they missed it. It was you who brought me out of the womb. Making me secure in my mother's breast, I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. That happened a lot during the Passion. Lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed, not broken, disjointed through asphyxiation to a cross. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, which is why in the Gospel it says, I am thirsty. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. There's been no crucifixion yet in society. And yet the hands and the feet are pierced. I can count all my bones because they're not broken. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Guys, this psalm was written possibly a thousand years before. What? But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. If we were to end the psalm right there, that's depressing. It's only abandonment. It's only pain. 
It's only loneliness, no help, just suffering, in fact, trauma. You know, I'm reading a book called Joyful Journey for one of my required readings in one of my classes on the foundations of missional practice. And it had some really interesting concepts about trauma and how it interferes in our relationship either with God or with one another. It concluded that the type or intensity of pain alone does not determine whether an event will be traumatic or not. What? No, it says that if that is the case, if that doesn't define it, the the amount or the type of pain, then what defines trauma? This is what they come up with. Any life event that leads us to feeling alone without help can be experienced as traumatic. It's not the pain or the intensity alone. It's the fact that when we are suffering whether real or perceived, we're alone. That's when it becomes trauma. And when it becomes trauma, if that doesn't get resolved, it's going to affect every relationship in our life, including God's. Carl Lehman is a doctor that has extensively studied how our brains deal with pain. He states in his studies that if we believe we are alone and the pain exceeds our mental capacity... We become traumatized, period. It's not just a spiritual thing anymore, guys. It's physical. See, trauma ultimately can lead us to doubting whether God is good and whether He's truly with us in our suffering. The same thing happens in our relationships with each other. And you know what happens when that happens among people? We, we go from trusting their heart to judging their intention. And what's so sad about that is it's such a fallacy. We, we, we may explain to others, well, they did this to me, therefore they're not loving. Wait a minute, you, you can't judge the action, but then judge the intention, which you can't know. You don't read minds. You're not God. Unless you go talk to them to make sure, you can't judge their intention, but that's actually what we end up doing. We judge the intention more than the action because of trauma. See, if we judge the heart correctly, we go, wait a minute, that action doesn't make sense to me because you're my friend, you're my brother, you're my sister, you have never treated this way, but now I'm feeling it. That action doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to judge your intention because that's not your normal intention. Bro, I'm not feeling it. What's going on? Or we can make the mistake and let trauma cut down our relationship ability, make us judge the intention, go, they don't love me, that's it. You lost the relationship. We do that with each other. Believe it or not, we do it with God. Just like us, Jesus had to make a choice of whether He would allow the pain and feeling of being alone cause trauma that would interfere in His relationship with God and others or still believe that God is good. See, I believe many of us, as was proven earlier, we're not aware of the trauma that's going on in our lives. We're not aware of how our, our love has grown cold because of trauma, because of unresolved pain amongst ourselves, perceived or real. And some of the pain may be real. I'm not excusing that. You may have actually been hurt. But you're going to let their hurt determine how you connect with them and others and God? Jesus could have done that, but He didn't. 
You know, Dr. Lehman goes on to say that God has actually designed a very specific area of our brain, biologically, that has circuits. For example, everyone close your eyes for a minute. Just close your eyes and then open them up. Do you realize what just happened when you close your eyes is you turned off that circuit that allows you to see simply by closing your eyes. The minute you open your eyes, that circuit came back on. So circuits in our brain go on off all the time. But there's an actual circuit. He calls it the RCS, the relationship circuit in our brain that all its purpose is simply for this, the longing to connect in relationship. That's it. That's all it's for. If we can turn off our visual circuit, we can turn off our relationship circuit and not even know it. And if that circuit's turned off, then even if you're trying to have a relationship, you can't. You've allowed the pain to traumatize your relationship circuit. We've got to learn how to turn it back on. We've got to learn to forgive. I think forgiveness is one of the first ways to turn that circuit back on. That's really what the gate shared about is that relationship circuit could have shut forever. But forgiveness, the mercy of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, allowed that circuit to come back on and despite the pain, go, it can be better. I think too many of us have quit on each other way too soon. I'm so glad God doesn't. Because a lot of us would not be here right now. What's switching off that relationship circuit in our hearts? You know, there's an actual test that you can find out. How do I know if my relationship circuit is on or off? For sake of time, I can't read them all, but he summed them up in one question. Think of a person or situation that makes you feel like you really have the circuit turned off. Think of just a person or a situation, and then ask yourself this question, and this will determine whether your relationship circuit is on or off. Can I feel positive feelings about the person or God right now? But they just hurt me, Derek! Yeah. But if your circuit's still on, even though you were hurt, that wants to connect more than pull away. Unless you turn the circuit off. So if you can't believe in someone, even when they've hurt you, even in that moment to feel good about them, your circuit's off. And when your circuit's off, you can't do what Jesus did. Jesus' circuit, I believe, never turned off. Even when the sins of all of us separated it from God, He kept His relation circuit on. I know that because He kept thinking about other people. The guy there, going to be with me in paradise. Hey, John, Mom, Mom, John. He was still relationally connected, even in the most traumatic experience of his life. How many of us, we just get a cold and we can't talk? I'm I'm one of those. I'm a grump when I'm sick. Just ask my wife. I'm not nice when I'm sick. I'm like, man, Jesus was on the cross and he was still nice. What excuse do I have? He left the circuit on. See, just like us, Jesus in that moment, when the sin separated him, he had as a human only rely on faith that God was present because he no longer could feel God as present. And any of us relate to that feeling? Then we've got to be like Jesus. And we've got to believe. Let's continue the psalm because the psalm doesn't end in pain. See, when you have pain and you're going to have it, You've got to make a choice that rather than let the pain be the voice, I'm going to hold on to the promises of God so that pain becomes praise. And then we read on in Psalm 22, verse 21, second part of that verse. 
you answered me. See, they, the Pharisees ended too soon. Hey, he says he's God. Maybe God will rescue him. Uh, God already said he, he would. They didn't read the rest of the psalm. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. All you descendants of Israel, revere Him. For He is not despised or abhorred, abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide His face from Him, but listened when He cried for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. I mean, He's Texan. God bless your heart. <laughs> all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord all the families of the nations will bow down before you for kingship belongs to the Lord he rules the nations all who prosper on earth will eat and bow down all those who go down to the dust will kneel before him even the ones who cannot preserve his life their descendants will serve him the next generation will be told about the Lord they will come and declare His righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare, catch this, there's a tense here, what He has done. What was the last words of Jesus on the cross? It is finished. It is done. It is over. Pharisees, you missed it. I am the whole Psalm of 22. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's loneliness. Yes, there's abandonment. But I'm not going to let it be trauma. I am not going to let it be fear. Believing in my Father. He is listened. He is present. He will save me. That's Jesus. So I believe Jesus had the entire psalm in His mind. And here's how we know where Jesus is so different than us. He could have let the trauma interfere. He chose to believe. Luke 23, we'll end with this. Verse 44. Different account, same time frame. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sunlights failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice. So wait a minute. This is happening about the same time as our account in Matthew where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? It was right between that 12 and 3. Then he says that phrase in Matthew and Mark. Now we get the Luke account, and he says something different about the same time within minutes, most likely, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just called out with a loud voice. Father, which if he really completely believed God had abandoned him, he wouldn't call his name. Why would he say it if he's not there? But he's not there. He's separated by our sin. Yeah, he is. But just like us, Jesus is saved by faith. And he believed, Father, into your hands. I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed this last. In the Matthew account, same time frame. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? But then within minutes of that, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Jesus did not let his pain 
become trauma. Though separated by sin, he was not separated by his faith. Though we may sometimes not feel God is with us in our pain, faith helps us believe he's still there. And the reality is, he is. He never departs from us. Guys, as we leave today, as we live out this week, I hope we can imitate Jesus with whatever you're going through. That if we're in pain right now, it's okay to say, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But don't let that pain turn to trauma. Instead, believe the promises. I am always with you. I will never abandon you. So that we can also say, maybe within minutes, it might be hours, could even be days, weeks, or months, maybe even a year, but at some point say it. Father, into your hands, and trust my spirit. Let's go to God in prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we are humbled. Humbled that you have the incredible conviction that even in the moment of your most worst pain and suffering and abandonment and loneliness, you quoted the Word of God. You decided to, yes, accept the pain, be honest about the pain, be vulnerable of the pain, but you did not let that pain determine your destiny. You chose to believe the promises as well. And so it was done. It was finished. Thank you, Jesus, for taking on a burden we could not take. You had to be separated from your Father, be made human in a way that only you ever experienced was in that moment. But God, we're like that. We often don't see your presence, feel your presence, know your presence is there. But help us to be like Jesus with faith that despite the pain, despite the trauma, we're going to believe that you are there, that you have heard us, and that an answer will come, even if it means death and ultimately just to be with you. Please, God, help us. Help us to be able to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through the example of Jesus, through great, close brother and sister relationships, we can also end by saying, Father, we entrust our spirit into your hands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.